0: Well, it turns out, uh, based on last week, that I am very dangerous with a microphone, and so I need to make it just abundantly clear, we are not pregnant. <laughs> I don't want that to get lost as I start uttering many words and confusion to break out. Now, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Jacob Moore. My lovely wife, Claire, is right there, and I'm just so grateful to be able to bring you the word, even as I reflected on First Thessalonians, let me just say first before I get into anything, how much I love you all. One of the things I noted about Paul was that he, he would ask people, he would encourage people, he would even warn people to flee from sexual immorality. And I have struggled with sins in that category. And you all have done those things. You all have been like Paul to me. And I'm just so grateful. And I hope that this word that I bring tonight is a labor of love to you all. And I, I hope that you hear it that way. Um, yeah, so I, I, as we turn to Isaiah 6.3, that will be the text that we are in. And as way of introduction, I, one of the ways that I want you to think about what we're trying to do tonight is that my favorite movie is Les Mis. Now, I know movie opinions are subjective, and di- different people have different ones. You're entitled to be wrong on this point. But it's a great movie. The hope and redemption that comes out, one of the songs they sing is One Day More. And throughout the whole movie, you're just waiting for tomorrow. You're waiting for the glorious song of freedom and redemption and glory to break out. And finally, at the end, as Jean Valjean is is going on his his final departure, you start to hear this kind of faint song start to to come out. And you hear the people sing, sing the songs. And it builds until all of a sudden, as he joins them closer and closer, you're hearing a glorious, beautiful, powerful song that the people are singing. And I think that we have something like that in our text. A glorious song of majesty. And I hope that as we tune our ears in tonight, that we hear that song, we understand that song, and we are invited to sing that song. That's my hope for us tonight. So some of the context as you're turning there, just just briefly, is that Isaiah is a prophet near the time of the exile, and Israel is unwell. He describes them as unwell from the top of their head to the foot uh, they're at the bottom of their feet. They have welts, sores, everything you can imagine. They are the kind of person you'd be repulsed to see on the street. And God is actually establishing a ministry in Isaiah that is going to harden those hearts. And Isaiah asks, until when? And he actually says, until he undoes it all. He raises it to the ground so much so that the line of kings will be lost and they'll be left what he calls the stump of Jesse. It will seem as if David has disappeared and no hope. Remains, And then he offers what will end up being the glorious end of the book is that from that stump of Jesse, a holy shoot will rise up and come about. And that's the context we have in our book. And we we step into Isaiah 6. It's the third vision particularly that we have. And Isaiah sees here a glorious king on his throne. And it's actually that he sees the temple, this heavenly temple, and the hem of the robe is actually hanging down into the temple. And the image is that the earth is God's footstool. And he's looking at the earth where God's feet are just kicking up, and he's staring up at God, and he's realizing the glory of God and the significance of that. And there's seraphim flying around God, covering their eyes, covering their feet, but crying something. They have a message, and that message is the content of our verse. Now, I want to do something a little bit odd, if you'll indulge me. Normally, somebody would read this verse once or maybe twice— But one of the interesting things about our verse is that angels are calling back and forth to one another, and they are encouraging one another. And so I know this is not normal practice, but if you will indulge me, I'd love to read this verse together, all of us, and lead us all in a corporate reading three times. And as you read it more and more, I'd love for you to try to look around the room and cry this out to one another. And so I would like to lead us, and we're just going to read it right through three times. And as you do, just let it ring out and cry out to one another. So if you'll read with me in Isaiah 6:3, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let those words ring. We have just cried out the very words. We have insider access to what is cried out in heaven. And we have just joined with heaven in thinking about what God is like. But as we call that out to one another, we do need to understand what we are saying what are we saying when we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I think the main point of my devotional that we'll unpack so that we know what we're saying is this, that when we see God's holiness, it gives us new eyes to see and a new song to sing. When we see God's holiness, it gives us new eyes to see and a new song to sing. So I would just like to meditate for a brief moment on God's holiness. What do we mean when we say God is holy, holy, holy? Well, what we mean, in this context especially, is that God is unlike anyone you've ever met. That he is distinct. That he is glorious. That he is above everything, everyone, and anything you can imagine. We might say it in the words of Isaiah, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above our ways. So his thoughts are above our thoughts. And he is overwhelming in his majesty. So, one illustration we might have is, is the way the sun compares to the moon and the stars. You may step out in the evening and look up at the moon, and you may like the soft, gentle light and go, What a lovely moonlight. And you may even look over and glance at some of the twinkling stars that are just dancing in the distance. And you may enjoy them, but when the sun comes out, it's a totally different ballgame. You don't stare at it because it will burn your eyeballs out. And I mean that. You might like the sunrise, you might like the sunset, but you don't stare at the sun for very long because it's completely different. So when we sing, his splendor outshines the sun, what are we confessing about God? He is unlike anything we've ever encountered. He is glorious. So when we think about that, we have to say, if God is this kind of holy, if this is what it means to even be God, is to be holy, to be by himself, as we're going to sing in holy, 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 thou art holy alone. There is none beside thee. Then we have a question, I think, actually based on our our morning text even. What does it mean when actually we're called not to live lives of impurity, but called to live in holiness? Wait, but if God's utterly different, if holiness is even what it means to be God, how could we ever live holy lives? How could we live in holiness when this is what marks God? Well, and the answer is actually embedded in our text. It is the work of the triune god i actually think we have a reference to the trinity in our text when he says holy 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 we have three cries all the same essence every time and later on if you read further god will actually when he's talking say whom shall i send who will go for us god speaks in both singular and in a plurality and i think this is a shadow of what we will later come to call the trinity and we actually saw in our text right it's god's will through the words of jesus through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we read this text, we could hear the angels somewhat saying, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. And what we are being, if, if then what it means for God is for God to be holy, then when he's calling us to holiness, this is important so we frame our understandings of this call correctly, it's not so much God calling us to something abstract, it is God calling us to himself. God, when he tells us to be holy, is telling us to come to him to partake, as we might say, in the divine nature through the great and precious promises available in Christ Jesus. That should just totally reframe how you think about holiness. If holiness is some tedious drag, if it's just boring work that you have to engage in, you don't understand what you're being called to. Because to be called to holiness is to be invited into life in God. And he does this through the holy stump we've talked about, the shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse. It is actually through Jesus Christ who comes and he lives a holy life, a very different kind of life than anyone ever has lived, nor will anyone live a holy life like that again. It is a distinct life. And he died in a distinct way as a substitute for sinners, not for his own sin, but for you and I in our sin. And then he was raised as the firstborn among the dead. And a crucial part of his gospel is actually that he was ascended to the right hand of the Father, coming on the clouds of heaven, and was seated at the right hand of the power. And you know why Jesus left? He didn't just run off. He said, I go so that I might send the Holy Spirit. He is with you. He will be in you. And he does that. Based on Jesus' worthiness, the Holy Spirit becomes accessible. So when we look at God and he just devastates our pride, when we see we are not like you, we are not worthy to be in your presence, well, his Holy Spirit can make us that way. And so what we need to do is turn to this God, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the promised Holy Spirit. If you do not know this Holy God, realize he's terrifying apart from the Holy Spirit, sealing you, doing his work in you and saving you but if he seals and saves you then he is amazing and he is glorious and he can be known today so we need to think then to be careful because if what we are receiving in salvation is the trinitarian god working on our behalf what first thessalonians says is true when you reject holiness you're not rejecting men You're not rejecting man-made doctrines. You're rejecting God, all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't do that lightly. I would encourage you, don't do it at all. Turn to him and know him. And, you know, one of the things Brad brought up today that I love when we think about holiness is we don't want to moderate holiness. We don't want to bring it down. We don't want to say, well, you know, it's not so big of a deal to worry about. Why? Because if to be called to holiness is actually to be called to participate in life with God, when you tell people, well, you don't need so much holiness, what you're really telling them is is, you don't need so much of God. You don't really need all the life that he offers. You don't really need all the grand, glorious nature that he is extending to you in his son, Jesus Christ. Would you tell people that? What we actually end up doing when we make holiness sound like something that's to be avoided is we do what the people in Isaiah were doing. They called what was bitter sweet and what was sweet bitter. Friends, don't even call holiness bitter sweet. It is sweet because it is life with God. (laughs) Accept holiness. Turn to God. Receive the gift of the promised Holy Spirit. So that's a way we can reframe and see our holiness differently. We need to look and see ourselves. But one of the other things that we see, one of the interesting pictures is these angels are above the king, right? And they're looking down and they're seeing him in his holiness. And as they're seeing him, they're also declaring the whole earth is full of his glory. They're seeing the earth in a different way now. It's actually transforming everything they know about the world that, they, that, that is there. And it should for us. As well, not only does it change how we see our holiness, as we've just talked about, it's not tedious, it's not a drag, but it also changes the way we think about this world. It changes the way we see this world and want to interact with it. And the, the, the implication is really we need to start seeing it as full of his glory. There's so many things we could say about this, but for the sake of time, one thing I want us to think about in relationship to the earth being full of his glory is the unique opportunity we have to make that glory unveiled in this life. You see, as Christians, we have a unique opportunity. If we have come to the triune God, we actually get a chance as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, may your name be made known as holy. Not that we make it holy, but we make it known as holy. And one of the ways we're trying to do this as a church, Lord willing, coming up very soon, is through church planting. We're going to do that. I very much hope, because it is a glorious opportunity to participate in making God's name made known as holy in all of the earth, where his glory is. We will not do it when we're in the grave. We won't have to do it when Jesus Christ comes back. This is the time to try to invest in these kind of opportunities. So a couple things I would just say as a way of application is viewing the earth this way. I mean, Trey, particularly you, brother. Go in the confidence of God's atonement and make people aware of how God's glory is in all of the earth. One of the interesting things about being called by God is if you read in the text, Isaiah realizes he's in trouble, but then he gets atoned for from a a coal on the altar. And it's after he hears the atonement that he hears the call, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? If you're hearing the call to go, brother, go realizing it's only after you've been atoned that God makes that call. And go in the confidence of resting in Christ and his atonement as you try to make him known among the nations. But to the rest of the body, I'd urge you to go with Trey if you're able. One of the things Isaiah says is, Here I am, send me. Because he realizes it's a privilege. You get one lifetime to try to find the right opportunities to make God's name made known as holy amongst the nations. You get one lifetime to try to unveil his glory to people who don't know it before it becomes unveiled and it's too late. So when you go to Bentonville, it's already there. God's glory is there. It just needs people to proclaim it, to sing the song of salvation there. So yes, there's sacrifices. Yes, there's inconveniences. But it's a sweet opportunity to go and make the whole earth aware of the glory of God that resides in it. So I'd urge you, if you haven't thought very seriously about going with Trey, think about it. It's a privilege to try to make God's name made known as holy. Final thing I'll I'll say before I I get out of the way is this. We also sing a new song by singing. (laughs) We're about to sing a song here coming up in just a few minutes. And I'd urge you as you sing, as you think about even singing, We have such a rare opportunity to join voices with the holy angels and cry out, holy, holy, holy. It's a beautiful opportunity to sing. You know, in Les Mis, when they sing, there's there's a stanza that I love. They say, do you hear the people sing? Say, do you hear the distant drums? It is the future that they bring when tomorrow comes. Brothers and sisters, we, we have a future. We have a tomorrow, and it will come. And we're singing about that right now when we sing about God's holiness. And we're going to sing holy, holy, holy. And it's a chance to join with the angels in song, declaring God as sovereign in both heaven and on earth. And one of the things I'll just leave you with to hopefully motivate you to sing is in 6-4, if you'll just float your eyes down, the the, temple's found, the, the doorway of the temple is shaking, Now, we might guess that it's because of God's presence, but it's at the sound of the angels calling to one another. That's what shakes the temple. When we sing, we prophetically sing into the world, and the world shakes when heaven and earth are united in worship of God. We're going to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I pray that you'll sing that with me. Oh, Father in heaven, may your name be made known as holy. Oh, God, we are about to open our mouths and we are about to sing holy, holy, holy. God, I pray if there's anyone in here who does not know you and your holiness, realize it's terrifying for those who won't accept the atonement that only you can offer. But God, for those who know you, it is the most comforting thing because we know no one else like you. There are no gods beside you. You are holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of your glory. Lord, we love you and we praise you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.